Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, we talk with Adam Kimball, a professional trail runner for Hoka based in Tahoe City, California, ahead of the 2022 Western States 100. Before we get started, though, this episode of Single Track is brought to you by Soar Running. Soar Running, that's S-O-A-R Running, are a London-based high-performance running apparel brand. Why am I excited to partner with Soar? Well, if you're like me, you take pride in your running gear and you want the best. That's why I'm stoked about this brand. They are pushing the running apparel boundaries when it comes to producing gear that we care about, like wet and cold weather layers and racing kits. I'm also excited because they are finally moving into the trail running space. After years in the figurative lab, they have launched a trail-specific clothing line that I've had a chance to test, specifically their half-zip t-shirts, trail race vests, and trail shorts, all out on multi-hour runs in my backyard of the Wasatch Range. This apparel is the real deal. If you want help getting kitted out for your training and racing needs, Soar is offering us an exclusive 20% savings at SoarRunning.com. All you got to do is enter the code SINGLETRACK20 at checkout, but act fast. This code is only valid through June and July. I'm stoked, people, and I care about you all. I wouldn't be endorsing something if I didn't believe in it and use it myself, so go check out Soar Running when you get a chance. With that, let's get on with the show. Adam Kimball. Welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Thanks so much, Ben. I appreciate it, man. Great to be here. So we're definitely going to spend the vast majority of this episode talking about Western States and uh, what you have in store there. But I've always been curious, if I understand correctly, you have been on a couple survival shows in the past and done some just generally non-traditional endurance ultra endeavors. Can you talk about that? Like, How did those opportunities arise? Because I've always been fascinated. Yeah, man. Uh, so it really, the story began in, in, as far as the game shows are, are concerned in 2008, uh, I was on the prices, right. And I was just, my brother lives in LA. He's lived in LA for a long time. I was visiting with family and my mom is like a game show junkie. So she really wanted to go and like, you know, check things out. And it turns out, I didn't know this at the time, but it turns out that if you get into the audience, they interview everybody and they select contestants based off of those interviews. So once I knew I had some amount of control over potentially getting on the show. Then I tried to like turn it on and, you know, crack some jokes and stuff. And uh, yeah, so I, I went on the show, ended up winning the showcase, which is the last thing. And uh, that was, that was pretty, a pretty hilarious thing that happened when I was in college. And then as far as the running stuff, you know, I, I started running ultras in 2014. And then in 2015, my wife and I took a year, uh, we quit our jobs and, and traveled for a year. And yeah. Part of that time, I I was like, you know what, we're going to all these places. Like, I should just look and see what races are happening there because I was like really just getting into it and just lo- you know loving every second of it. So I started kind of looking in all these you know countries all over the world and seeing races that I could find. And it just so happened that one of the ones that I did off the bat was a stage race uh, in the Gobi Desert in China, part of the Four Deserts um, stage racing series, which. If you're not familiar with that, like one person that kind of got their start there that did really well uh, after that was Ryan Sands. Those were like the first races yes. that he ever ran. Um, and so anyway, um, actually, Ryan, the first the first ultra race, I think that Ryan ever ran was the Gobi, Gobi March, which is funny. Oh, um, right on. Yeah, man. But anyway, so I ran that race. Uh, I won it. And, uh, you know, that kind of like opened my eyes to a lot of things. But I think as far as the non-traditional stuff, you know, stage racing is is ultra running but it's such a different experience it's more like i don't know sort of like a combination of racing and fast packing and i think just kind of starting on that trajectory opened my eyes to the fact that like 
there's all this stuff outside of just racing. And I've, so I've always kind of been like, there's sort of these, like, in my experience, a lot of people tend to be either in the FKT adventure style camp or in the racing camp. And there was a little bit of crossover during the pandemic, but I've always kind of been split in both because I started by running some of those not straightforward races and, and love doing it. And so, you know, I came back from, from that year of travel, ran across the U.S. I was trying to break the record for doing that. Didn't break the record, didn't even come close, but, but uh, made it from coast to coast. Um, and, uh, and that sort of started my like love of just adventuring, whether that's in a race or on an expedition on my own, man, that's such a cool entry into the sport. And it, I heard in there, you and your wife quit your jobs one year to go travel the world. Is that where you made the pivot to sort of go all in on running at that point? Like as an athlete, as a coach, the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, it was. I think after the Gobi March, that was when, you know, like that wasn't the most competitive race, but it was a huge deal for me at the time winning that. Cause there was, you know, there was runners from like 40 different countries and, and I went in like just trying to challenge myself and see how it went and, and ultimately ended up winning. And I think after that, I sort of thought to myself, like, is this something that I could potentially make a career out of? And, uh, and ultimately what ended up happening was there was kind of like a two year period where I started getting some sponsors, but it wasn't like it wouldn't have been financially feasible to just do that full time. Yeah. So I started slowly accumulating like partnerships and sponsorships while also starting to do more coaching at that time. And then just by having the financial flexibility from my wife's much more stable financial career, um, she kind of gave me this like two to three year window to figure it out. And then I got to the point where it was like it did become financially like I could full time run and coach. Um, and that's what I'm doing now. And so, so the, the cool thing for me is that I think if I didn't have her support, uh, I wouldn't like, I would have been like, I, I'm not making enough money. I've got to do something else. Um, yeah. and so she gave me that flexibility and now I'm doing what I love all the time. And I'm just like, so grateful for that. All right. We, we definitely got to record another episode later this summer going back into your career some more because that's fascinating. And it's cool that you mentioned that because we just had a guy, Andrew Drummond on the podcast, who's based in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. And he had a similar story, like a non-traditional entry into the sport. He was a surfer. And uh, he had like two to three years to float, to like build his retail store there in Jackson, New Hampshire and do athletic stuff and build a YouTube channel and, and partnerships. And all the while, um, you know, he had a partner who was, who was just helping in that process. So that's super cool. Um, yeah, man. I, I tell people all the time, like, you know, a, a lot, I get the question from a lot of different people, especially, you know, sort of elite runners that are maybe thinking about trying to make more of a career out of it. And the thing I always tell them is like, it, it totally depends on the person. I mean, if you're, if you're like a, a Jim Walmsley, you can immediately make it a career. Right. But yeah. if you're, if you're one of like a, a successful runner, that's maybe not like the best in the world. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to like different things that you can offer, but also if there's, if you have the ability to be patient or if you have another thing that can kind of, float you during the time that you're attempting to build it because otherwise it can be tough. Like it's not for me, it didn't happen overnight. And so, mm. uh, I just needed that time to sort of establish myself, you know? Super cool though, man. Well, we got to talk about Western and maybe we'll start here. This isn't your first rodeo. Like you flirted with a top 10 performance at Western, I think back in 2018, by all accounts, a great day. I think you ran like well under what, 18 hours, like seven mid seventeens or low seventeens, yeah. like awesome day. Can you talk about that day and, and what your biggest takeaways were and, and what you learned? Yeah, honestly, it was a really good day. I think the crazy thing is historically, 
including last year, which had similar, I love looking at, the, I don't know if you've ever looked at the historical data on Western states with like the temperatures. It was a hot year. day. Exactly. Yeah. 2018 and last year were pretty similar. And uh, what's crazy is that you never know what's going to happen because in 2018 or my time from 2018 would have put me like seventh or eighth overall last year. So <laughs> you just like from year to year, at, you know, it, it totally depends on the, how the race plays out and you just never know. So I was honestly, I was stoked. I, I, really badly wanted the top 10 in 2018, but I ran, I executed a great race. And so I walked away, I was 10th male. I finished five minutes behind Courtney, who uh, at the time ran the second fastest time ever. Claire yeah. uh, ran a little faster and then actually Beth last year. So now it's like the fourth fastest time for females. But uh, yeah, I mean, by, for all intents and purposes, it was a great day. I executed well. I would say thinking about that race compared to this year, there's a couple things uh, that I, that I sort of like took moving forward. One of those things was in the first half of the race, especially I, I told myself the next time I run Western States, I'm going to be more aggressive in the first half. Mm. Um, I, my, my sort of mentality. And so that, that's the other interesting thing when I ran in 2018, there was like a bunch of those serial top 10 male finishers, Jeff Browning, Ian Sharman, Kyle Pietari, Mark yes. Hammond, uh jesse haynes didn't end up finishing in the top 10 but he was on he was there too so like there was all those guys and literally none of those guys are running this year so um it's going to be an, a, an interesting dynamic because like there's these people that that figured out the formula and executed it year in and year out and now there's a bunch of potentially faster people but maybe that don't know the recipe to have a great race so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but so I told myself I'd want to run a little bit more aggressively in the first half was the main thing. And then the other thing is just kind of adjust to what's happening on the day. Because like I said, with, with the heat and the and just the race itself, you never know how things are going to play out. And so you've got to like, you got to go in with the plan, but then also be willing to, to flex on that and adjust to what's happening in the race. Man, that's a fascinating point about, you know, the usual smart racers not being there to set the tone for like what a guaranteed top 10 looks like. But at the same time too, like, the usual time trialers aren't there either. So I'm, I'm curious how the race is going to play out because you don't have your Walmsleys who aren't really racing. They're literally time trialing. I mean, I guess Hazen's there. Like Hazen might want to take a crack at like yep. sub 14, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like Tim Tolleton's going to want to race smart. Hayden will probably want to race smart. Like it's, it's, you bring up a good point though. Very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that like, that was part of my, honestly, part of my strategy in 2018 was to keep uh, the two that I was looking at were Ian and Jeff. I was like, just keep those guys within eye shot. And I know I'm going to be in like a pretty good spot. And I ran, I don't know, the better part of like 30 or 40 miles within sight of those guys. Um, you know, so, so that's part of it too. So like, like you said, when you have like this barometer of this person knows how to get it done and they like, I mean, Ian literally did it nine times in a row. Um, that helps some people to kind of pace it when you don't have that, there's a little more like, uh, kind of figuring it out yourself. But I, I agree. There are people, I think that the two that you named Tim and Hayden would yeah. both admittedly say they didn't, they weren't super happy with the races last year, even though they landed in the top 10. Yep. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what tweaks both of them make. Pivoting a little bit. You said one other interesting thing there, which is that you had wished you ran the first half of the race faster. And I've, I don't think I've ever heard an ultra runner say that before. That's a, that's an interesting um, insight. So what are you doing differently in training this time around to uh, maybe make that possible and, and still obviously finish strong? Yeah. I, so historically for myself personally, I've been a second half racer. Like I've just always performed well late in races. And I, I end up, you know, like in 2018, I was 
22nd or something at Forest Hill and then finished 13th. Um, and, and that's kind of my MO. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like, I'd like to be in a similar spot, but maybe five to six spots, you know, higher up this time in the 10 to 15 range, and then hopefully do the same thing. Uh, but honestly, one of the things that, that I focus more on this year than, uh, than I did the first time around. And I, and I took this little tidbit of information actually from Jared Hazen in 2019, after he ran the second fastest time ever, uh, I was sitting at the, the Auburn track, Placer High School track, listening to his interview. And they asked, so I forget who was interviewing him, but somebody asked him what he did to prepare. And his answer was run a ton of downhill. And so ever since he said that, I was like, yeah, he's right. There's so much runnable downhill in this race. And if you don't emphasize that enough, then uh, you can blow your quads early and not even be able to run it. So one of the main things that I changed this year was I ran a lot more downhill. Interesting. Yeah. Anything else in the lead up that you've been doing to prepare? I mean, you, you must be on the course a fair bit because you're based in the Lake Tahoe area. Yeah. So the, the interesting thing is the, really the first like 20 miles of the course aren't super accessible until like the last week or so because of the snow. I mean, if you want to run on snow, you can go do it, but uh, you know, like post holing for 20 miles, isn't my favorite thing to do. So I usually, the, the high country, I, I tend to, to not run very much of before the race. Um, but I get into the canyons a lot. And then actually, um, another thing that was a little bit different, I'd say in 2018, I spent a ton of time in the canyons this year. I went to the canyons some, and I've, I've spent a lot of time training there in the past. So I know that I know that like 40 mile section, like the back of my hand. So this year I spent more time on the last 20 from like green gate to the finish. Um, I just wanted to like map that more in my head and, and hopefully be in a state where I'm like really pushing myself during that period of time. Um, that was kind of the intent behind it was like, you know, see these points and think to yourself, okay, when you're here, like you're going to be fighting for a top 10 finish, hopefully. And, uh, and really know like what I have to do to get to the next aid station to the next like mental marker, uh, you know, like passing, passing the last aid station, um, before you hop onto Quarry road, which is like 10 miles from the yeah. finish from there to the Walmsley turn to highway 49, you know, to all those like iconic spots. Um, and so I spent a lot of time kind of like mapping that in my head, uh, and getting used to that. But, but yeah, I've spent a fair bit of time on the course and, uh, and yeah, I'm excited for race day. Well, let's talk about goals and expectations. How do you think this is going to shake out for yourself? Like, what are you, what are you expecting heading into the race? How are you going to race it? And then, uh, is like top 10, the goal. Yeah. Top 10 is the goal. That's all. I mean, really from the time that, that Western States came onto my radar, you know, it was that, that was the, 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 uh, prestige of finishing the top 10 and getting the invite back next year, especially when it's so hard to get into the race. It's nice to just like secure that spot on your own. Um, and so, so yeah, I came, I was literally 13, Chris Brown finished 10th male in 2018. I was 13 mm. minutes behind him. Um, and then when you feel like, so again, I was, I was super happy with the race, but I finished the race and I'm like 13 minutes over the course of a hundred miles. You can easily come up with 13 minutes and, and think about how you could have done something a little bit different. Right. So, uh, so yeah, top 10 is the goal. I, th I really think if I have a great race, I'll be there. Um, but if I'm not, and I left it all on the line, that's okay too. You know, like. Some of my, some of the things I've grown from most in my history in the sport have been the subpar performances, you know, like before I broke the Tahoe Rim Trail FKT, yeah. um, I, I finished it, but like screwed up a lot of stuff and said, I've got to do this again because I know I can do it better. 
so uh so yeah i you know i hope i'm i'm sitting in that top 10 spot i believe i i more than believe that i can do it um it's just a matter of executing and seeing what happens on the day do you feel recovered from tahoe rim trail by the way like i know it's two years on but like those things can take a while so how are you feeling after that yeah that's a great question i i think i honestly think it it took it so that like you know how it is there's this weird like superficial uh, recovery where I remember like a week after the TRT, I was like, dude, I feel great, you know? <laughs> um, but then like the deep underlying fatigue takes, can sometimes take years to recover from. Right. So, so yeah, I do feel recovered from it. Um, but it, it certainly took a lot more time than I was expecting. Gotcha. Yeah. One more question for you. We have a ton of shoe heads, gear heads in the audience. So what are you wearing on race day head to toe? Uh, so I am, uh, I'm a rabbit pro, so I'm going to be wearing my, my rabbit, uh, based in Santa Barbara, running clothes kit. Uh, I'll be wearing my my buff hat and and all the all the different buff my buff arm sleeves, uh, different buffs to keep myself cool throughout the day. Uh, I uh, I'm a Drymax guy as well, so I'll be wearing my Drymax socks. Nice. And then uh, you know I've run in Hoka for many years now, um, and I've been partnering with them since I think actually since I ran across the U.S. That was when I started uh, working with Hoka 2016. Okay. Um, and I'll be wearing the challenger actually. I think, oh, interesting. uh, the challenger to me is like such a, like for the trails out here, it's not as good on the technical stuff, but there's like not very much of Western States that's super technical. The high country is the most technical part. Um, but it's, and, and even that is not overly like, you know, it's, it's, you're fine with it. So, uh, I just like a shoe that I can, that I feel like it's pretty cushy, but it's, it works well on the trails out here. So. Right on. Well, yeah. we're excited to follow your race. I'll make sure to link to all your socials in the show notes. Anything you want to leave the audience with before we go? No, man. Just uh, follow along. If you're if you're a fan of the sport, check it out. Uh, I, you and I talked about this before uh, before this interview started. But this next two weeks in Tahoe is crazy. This weekend we've got Broken Arrow and the Tahoe 200 happening concurrently for the first time ever, and then a week later Western States. This is like two of the best weeks in our sport. So uh, do what you can to support people like Finn putting out incredible content and, uh, and same thing with the people doing the live stream coverage with, uh, with States and some, and broken arrow as well. Uh, I'll be out doing the uh, helping with the live stream on the VK on Friday for broken arrow. So uh, yeah, everybody support all of these wonderful people <laughs> helping push our sport forward. You put it perfectly, man. The, the center of the trail running universe is headquartered in Lake Tahoe for at least the next two weeks. That's right. <laughs> well, Coleman, no it's, doubt, been, man. It's, it's been such a pleasure. We'll definitely talk soon. Good luck. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, folks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And before you leave, if you are a new listener, I have a favor to ask. Could you leave a rating and review of this show in your podcast player? If you could, it would mean a lot to me because it helps more passionate trail runners like yourself discover this show. Regardless, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back soon with many more interviews around Western States. Until then, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.